Good evening, and again, uh, good to see everybody this afternoon. Uh, as you know, this is uh, our little conference we've been putting together. This is the third year to do that, and uh, you know, real life big questions. And you know, in doing this, it's our hope that we take you know questions that people have, you know, not only in our community but also maybe in the church family, and uh, provide an answer from a biblical perspective. And uh, this morning, Jared addressed the question, is eternal punishment and hell fair? And we saw that from a biblical perspective that uh, you know, eternal punishment in hell is fair. And in fact, it's what we all deserve. But God the Father, in a demonstration of his love, his mercy, and his grace, uh, sent his son into the world to take upon himself our sin and to bear the wrath that we deserve so that all who call upon the name of the Lord may be saved. As 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And Hebrews 2.3 says, How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And, uh, you know, so... As we looked at this morning, uh, eternal punishment, you know, in hell is, uh, is fair. But so thankful, you know, to the Lord that he has provided for us uh, that way of escape, that our sins can be forgiven. We're given Christ's righteousness uh, for all who call upon the name of the Lord. And this evening, I'm going to be addressing another big question, and it's can I know uh, that I'm saved? Can I know for certain? that I will not face eternal punishment in hell when I die. Uh, but before we address that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And Father, we do thank you for the, this afternoon and this opportunity we have uh, being able to gather together to address uh, this question, can I know that I'm saved? And Lord, we're so thankful uh, for the gift of salvation that you have provided for us in Christ. And that, uh, as we're going to look at uh, this afternoon uh, from your word, that uh, we can know uh, that uh, we belong to you. And I just pray, Lord, that uh, for every believer uh, that's here, that this will be an encouragement uh, to them and just to ground them uh, to know that they belong to you. But if there is anyone that's here or listening by live stream that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior and they have a false assurance, Lord, we pray that uh, you would move in a mighty way and to uh, grant them faith and repentance that will lead to salvation. And um, God, again, we just uh, thank you uh, for all that you have done for us in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. And so, like I said, we're going to be looking at the question, can I know uh, that I'm saved? And it's a question that uh, a lot of people uh, struggle with. And uh, really, there's not a greater question that a person can have settled uh, in their hearts and minds to know for certain that when I die, I'm going to go be with the Lord forever in heaven. And God's word is very clear that the moment a person repents of their sin and places their faith and trust in Christ, that uh, they're saved. 
Jesus at the beginning of his ministry after John the Baptist had been arrested. It says he came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And then in Romans 10, 9 and 10, uh, Paul says there, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And so, you know, once a person, you know, repents of their sin, places their faith and trust in Christ, they're saved. And um, before, they're spiritually dead in their trespasses and sins. They're dead in Christ. But now, as a believer, they are alive in Christ as 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. As believers, our sin debt has been paid in full. We've been set free from the penalty and power of sin. And as Romans 8, 1 says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the Bible is also clear. You know, not only when we repent of our sin, place our faith and trust in Christ, we're immediately saved, but that once a person is saved, receives eternal life, it's a reality that never changes. Jesus said in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. If you could be saved and then later not be saved, then it wouldn't be eternal, would it? You know, if you were in the Lord's hand and later weren't in the Lord's hand, then Jesus couldn't have said that. And then in another passage that, you know, just shows us the eternal security of the believer in Romans 8, uh, beginning in verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called, and these whom he called, he also justified, and these whom he justified, he also glorified. And that's what, as we know, is the, the unbreakable golden chain. And everyone whom the Lord foreknew, he's predestined, and everyone he's predestined, he's calls, and everyone he calls, he justifies, and everyone he justifies will one day be glorified. And so if you could lose your salvation, that wouldn't be true. That, that would, chain could be broken, but that's not the case. We have God's promise here in his word. And then Philippians 1.6, just one more. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Again, just the eternal security. Once you're a believer in Christ, that security, you know, nothing can pluck us out of his hand. And uh, he is going to perfect that work in us. And uh, one day, you know, we will all 
be glorified. We'll be made perfect without even the ability to sin. And uh, Romans 8, verse 37, But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so the Bible is very clear that once a person is saved, they cannot lose their salvation. But that does not mean that someone will not doubt their salvation. Uh, doubt is something that many Christians struggle with. And I would go so far as to say that most have at one time or another struggled with that question, you know, and doubting their salvation. In fact, uh, there are many Christians who go through their whole Christian life and die without assurance of their salvation. And there are many who teach and believe that uh, you can't have assurance. And in fact, they would say that it's arrogant or presumptuous uh, to think that uh, you can have eternal security. And so I wanted to start off by just asking, you know, why do Christians doubt their salvation when the Bible is so clear that uh, once you're saved, you can't lose it? And there are several reasons. I'm going to talk about four. One is discouragement of, of sin in our lives. You know, we think if I were truly saved, I, I wouldn't have done or thought that. And we have an enemy, you know, who attacks us with those kinds of thoughts. And we need to remember, though, that we are justified. As, you know, Christians, you have been declared righteous, not because of anything that we've done, but what Christ has accomplished for us. We stand in his righteousness, not our own. He's the one who has made us right with God. It's not of anything of ourselves. It's in his righteousness we stand, and the weakest believer is just as justified as the strongest believer uh, that you can think of. You know, you, we can say, you know, I am just as justified as the Apostle Paul or any other disciple or any other great saint. And you are as well if you're in Christ. And um, there's nothing we can do or not do that's going to make us more acceptable to God, uh, to cause him to love or accept us more. Our salvation is not dependent upon us keeping uh, the law. Uh, and we'll never be free from sin until the day uh, that we're glorified. And so I, I think, you know, just that discouragement of you know, of sin in our lives does cause us to, to doubt. And then um, another one is, kind of goes along with this, inconsistent walk, uh, a failure to grow in holiness. You know, a Christian's not going to have assurance if they keep committing uh, the same besetting sins. Uh, J.C. Ryle on this, he said, inconsistency will dim your eyes and bring clouds between you and the sun. The sun is the same, but you'll not be able to see its brightness and enjoy its warmth. It is in the path of well-doing that assurance will come down and meet you. The secret of the Lord, says David, is with those who fear him. 
Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing shall cause them to stumble. To him that orders his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. And so sin uh, in a believer's life, uh, it does. It breaks our fellowship with God. It doesn't break the relationship, but it breaks the, the fellowship. And so if you're not growing in holiness and you have an inconsistent walk with the Lord, then you're, not, you're going to struggle uh, of being assured of your salvation. And then another one, I think, is just the discouragement with the trials, just the difficulties that there are in life. Uh, and think that, you know, if I were truly saved and belonged to the Lord, I wouldn't be going through this. Uh, and that's just not true. In fact, as we go through trials in this life, he, the Lord is using them to test us and to prove to us that our faith is real. And trials are meant to grow us. Uh, they're meant to draw us closer to the Lord and in greater dependence upon Him. As James tells us, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then the last one uh, I'm going to mention is, again, and I know there are more reasons, but the, another one is the Bible's warning passages uh, and the terrifying consequences of not being saved, I think, cause uh, people to doubt. Because Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. And for the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. And so you notice a wide gate, a broad way, destruction. And many are on that path. Many. And then the small gate, a narrow way, is eternal life. And there are few who find that. And um, Jesus also said in Matthew 7, another warning passage, in, uh, beginning verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And so Jesus said, there will be many who call me Lord and they'll talk about the things they've done. And he says, I will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And also another warning passage that Jesus gave over in Mark 8, 36, he said, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? And so in other words, if you own the whole world and everything in it and were able to enjoy it your whole lifetime, uh, what value, what good is that? If you forfeit your soul, if you, you know, died and went to, to hell where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And those are, you know, very sobering, terrifying passages that, you know, when he says, you know, few are on the narrow way, many are on the 
Broadway. And, you know, there would be many who said, Lord, Lord, I did this, I did that. And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. So th those kind of passages, you know, cause us to, okay, maybe doubt our salvation. And so, but God, you know, he doesn't want us doubting our salvation and worrying if we're truly saved. Uh, he wants us to have assurance that we are saved. He wants us to know that we have eternal life. Because if we doubt our salvation, you know, how do we help others, you know, uh, come to Christ? And uh, it wants us to, you know, live in the joy, the abundant life uh, that he has for us. And so Paul uh, tells us in to test to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. And Peter says in 2 Peter 1, verse 10, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. And so if the Bible tells us to test, to examine ourselves, to see if we're in the faith, and that tells us to be diligent, to make certain about the Lord's calling and choosing us, then it follows that we can do that. The Bible's, you know, the Lord doesn't tell us to do something that we can't do. And um, the Apostle John, uh, say, you know, the beloved disciple, uh, wrote First John with this whole thing in mind. He wanted his readers to know that they were in the Lord, that they had eternal life. And he says in First John five thirteen, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And um, before we look at John's letter, though, I want to stress, you know, because we're going to be looking at some tests um, that we can go through as evidence of whether or not we truly belong to the Lord or not. But uh, I want to stress that salvation is all by the grace of God. There is nothing that we contribute to our salvation. As Ephesians 2, uh, beginning in, in verse 4, it says, God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and sealed us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so our best works before God are nothing but filthy rags, and there is nothing that we can do to remove or to pay for one sin that we commit. And with that said, though, you know, true saving faith will always be accompanied with works. And listen to what James says. In James 2, uh, beginning verse 14, he says, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to him, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself 
And so no one is saved by works, but a person who is saved will have some good works. There will be some fruit. And if not, it's as James said here, it's a dead faith. It's not saving faith. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 7, verse 16, you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. And so I want us to begin looking at 1 John and, and some of the tests uh, that he gives us so that we can know we have eternal life. And just beginning in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, he says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so the first question, the first test is to ask is, do you have fellowship with God and with his people? And this is really basic to what it means to, to be a Christian. Do you enjoy fellowship with God? If there is no fellowship or communion with God and Christ, then right off the bat, that's failing the test. Because, again, this is basic, that we have communion with God in Christ. That's what it is to be a Christian. Uh, you know, we are his children, and he is our father. And uh, you're not in Christ, and you aren't saved if that's not there. However, if you have experienced fellowship, communion with God, in Christ, then there is, that is evidence that you belong to him and are saved. And so some questions that we can ask. Do you sense God's presence with you? Do you experience his comfort, his joy, his peace uh, in your life? When there's the trials and the difficulties that we go through, do you do we cry out to him, Abba, Father, knowing that he hears you know, our prayers? Do enjoy reading his word and allowing him to speak through you, you know, in his word. And what about, you know, prayer and communing and just, you know, praising him for who he is and, you know, spending that time, you know, with the Lord, pouring our hearts out to him. And uh, so, you know, that's our fellowship with God, the Father, and with Christ. But notice our fellowship is not only with the Father in Christ, but also, he says, with other Christians. And so as Christians, you know, we've been adopted into the family of God, and we're united with other Christians as brothers and sisters in Christ. So the second part of the first test is, is do you have fellowship with other Christians? Do you enjoy fellowshipping, you know, with the body? Do you look forward to our worship times, our Bible study, our prayer times, our fellowship times when we can get together? and do these things? You know, if the answer is yes 
to those questions, then that's good evidence that you're a, a Christian. You belong to the Lord. If not, then, you know, that's evidence that maybe you're not. John, 1 John 5, 12, whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son does not have life. And again, who is it that has the Son? John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Everyone who receives Christ believes in his name. Those are the ones who have the Son. And 1 John 5, uh, beginning in verse 1, he says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the parent loves the child. And by this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For the love of God is this, that we obey his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And so when we talk about you know, faith and trust in Christ, it can seem very subjective, but it really comes down to the heart. Um, you know, do you love the Lord? And, you know, if you say you love the Lord, you know, we're not talking about a sentimentalism, but it's a heart's desire that wants to be in his presence and that wants to be with his people and to please and, and honor him with your life. And Jesus said, you know, if you love me, you will obey me uh, in John 14, 15. And so the second test, I think we ask ourselves, is do we obey the Lord's commandments? In 1 John 2, beginning in verse 3, he says, By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. And by this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. And uh, he says, okay, we know we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. And that word keep means to, to keep a watch on, to guard, to obey. And we're not talking about a, just a begrudging you know, type of obedience. We're talking about, not talking about a legalistic set of rules of do's and don'ts. We're talking about a heart, again, issue. A heart that was a heart of stone, now it's a heart of flesh. And it's a heart that's been made new. It's a heart that loves God's word. And a heart that is thankful to the Lord for all that he has done for you. And that wants to please and honor him. It's like the heart of the psalmist. In Psalm 119, verse 9, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. And with all my heart I've sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I've treasured in my heart, that I might not sin against you. And a few verses later, in verse 33, he says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. So, you know, the psalmist here, you know, your word I've treasured in my heart. Uh, I delight in it. You know, that is the uh, attitude 
of a heart that is wanting to obey the Lord, where you know His law is not burdensome. Um, and yes, we do not keep it perfectly the way we would like, but you know I, that is the heart's desire is to obey the Lord. And test number three kind of goes along with this one: is do you experience victory uh, over sin? First uh, John three verse four, he says, "Everyone who practices sin." also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins, and no one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Now, we know that when John says, no one who abides in him sins, he's not saying that a Christian never sins. First uh, John 1, verse 8, he's already said, if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So we know right off the bat that he's not talking about that a believer is not going to, to sin. But what John is talking about is the person who practices sin. And that's a key word, that word practice. And it means um, what one does repeatedly, uh, habitually. Uh, and he says, you know, the one who practices sin practices lawlessness. And uh, the word there for lawlessness, it, it's talking about the violation of a law. And it's a deliberate uh, violation. In other words, uh, you know, it's a person who is living a lifestyle uh, of sin. They reject God's laws. They reject his authority. They don't care what he thinks. They're going to do what they want to do, no matter what God says. And a person who lives like that is just not saved. And as believers, yes, we still sin. And we may even sin often. But that is not the same thing as practicing sin. And so, again, it's just a, another uh, test that we can, you know, um, ask ourselves and and we need to answer these, you know, honestly as well. The fourth one is, what is your attitude toward other Christians? Do you love other Christians? You know, we just looked at 1 John 3.10. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. But he also says, nor the one who does not love his brother. And then in verse uh, 14 of chapter 3 there, he, so, he says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love 
the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And this love is not a you know, warm, fuzzy feeling toward other Christians. It goes much beyond that to a genuine uh, concern uh, that's even willing to lay down our lives uh, for one another. You know, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we're to do the same thing and be willing to lay down our lives uh, for the brethren. And uh, Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I mean, this is one of the ways that we can, you know, know that we belong to the Lord is that we have love for each other. Unbelievers are not going to love, you know, us. We're an offense to them. But, we dem but if you have this love for one another, that is good evidence that we belong to the Lord. And um, now, some, another question, you know, do you care about other Christians? Do you try to help meet their needs? Or are you only focused on yourself, your desires, your, your needs, your wants? And uh, again, we're not saying these things are there perfectly. But uh, if they're there, then that's evidence of belonging to the Lord. Uh, in verse 18 of chapter 3, he says, Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him. See, our love for one another is one of the things that gives us assurance of our salvation, that we belong to him. Again, as we can answer these questions in the affirmative, that is, you know, providing that, that, this assurance. Uh, but if there is no love or concern for our brothers and sisters in Christ, don't really care, you know, if we're around them or not, then, again, that's evidence that we're not truly uh, born again. And then a, another test he mentions is, do we have the Holy Spirit abiding within us? Uh, and that's in 1 John 4, 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Ephesians 1, verse 13, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. And then in Romans 8, 9, you are not in the flesh but in the spirit if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Every believer has the Holy Spirit indwelling them. Every unbeliever does not have the Holy Spirit indwelling in them. You know, this is a test. If you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you and is abiding with you, then you are in Christ and you should have assurance of your salvation. And so how do we know the Holy Spirit is abiding in us? Well, what about displaying the fruits of the Spirit? Galatians 5, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's, again, evidence that the Holy Spirit is abiding in you. And then um, another question is, are you being led by the Holy Spirit? And does His Spirit confirm with your spirit that you're a child of God? It says in Romans 8, beginning verse 14, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. And then what about the, the scriptures? Are you able to, when you pick up your Bible and read it, to understand it? Does it make sense? And I'm not talking about the, the difficult passages that we you know, wrestle with. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, verses, beginning verse 10, For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. And this is why the scriptures make sense. They're, they're clear to, to Christians. Is It's not because you're smarter than someone else. It's because you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, who is leading you and guiding you into the truth uh, of God's Word there. And... Um, we have the Holy Spirit. And again, that is evidence of salvation. But on the other hand, as it says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So that is evidence of someone being lost. that They, they don't get the Scriptures. And it's because they're not... The natural man can't. You have to have the Spirit of God in you to, you know, to understand and to really take and apply uh, the, the Scriptures. And then another one. Do unbelievers criticize and malign you? you know, have you faced rejection, hostility, or being made fun of because of your faith in Christ? If you have, then that's good evidence that uh, you belong to Him. As he says in 1 John 3, verse 12, Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. And Jesus told his disciples in John 15, verse 18, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. And remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. And then another verse that kind of goes along with this, 2 Timothy 2.12, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will 
be persecuted. And Paul told the so if you're attacked by the world for your faith in Christ and for living a godly life, then that's good evidence uh, that you belong to him because they're attacking you for the same thing uh, you know, as Christ. We are his ambassadors. We're his representatives. And Paul told the Philippians in uh, chapter 1, verse 27, he says, Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel, and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. For them, this is evidence of their destruction, but of your salvation, and this is God's doing. For he has graciously granted you the privilege, not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well. And so rejection from the world, persecution from you know, unbelievers and suffering for living a godly life, as he says here, it's evidence of their destruction, but it's evidence of our salvation to belong in Christ and should reassure us that we you know, are truly saved. And then the, the, the last test we're going to look at tonight, and I know there are others, but um, is are you looking forward to the Lord's return? You know, 1 John 3, verse 2, he says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is poor, pure. And this is really a good question to, to ask. Are you looking forward to the Lord's return, to the day when you'll see him face to face? And in that day, be made perfect as he is perfect. And the battle with sin will be over. And it's the day, you know, that we'll be given a glorified body. And as I mentioned earlier, we won't even have the capability to sin. And in that day, our worship of our Lord will be perfect as he deserves. Do you look forward to that day? As Paul says in Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he is, has even to, the, to subject all things to himself. This world is not a Christian's home. We're strangers and aliens only passing through. Our citizenship is in heaven. And uh, we ought to be eagerly waiting for our Lord's return. And uh, notice what John says. Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. And so having this hope of uh, the Lord's return and looking forward to, to being with him, it spurs us on uh, to live pure lives, to grow, want to grow in our sanctification, 
uh, to want to walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, and to bear fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And so if you're looking forward to the Lord's return and to the, the day when the battle of sin is over, uh, then that's evidence that you've been born again, that you belong to the Lord. Because unbelievers, look, they're not looking forward to the Lord's return. They're living for the present. They're trying to get everything out of this life that they can. And so, you know, these are a few questions, seven questions that we can ask ourselves and answer honestly to examine yourself to see if your salvation is real. Do you enjoy fellowship with God and His people? Do you love the Lord? Do you obey His commandments? Again, as we talked about, not perfectly, but that is your desire is to obey the Lord. His commandments aren't burdensome. Are you experiencing victory over sin? Do you love other Christians? Do you have the Holy Spirit abiding in you? Are you attacked and rejected for your faith in Christ? And are you looking forward to the Lord's return? See, if you can answer those in the affirmative, then that's good evidence that you're a Christian because it's only the power of God that can change the heart and bring about those things. But if these things are, you know, and answer no honestly, aren't there, then that's good evidence that maybe you're not a Christian at all. And I want to say again, you know, we're not talking about perfection. Uh, we all still wrestle with sin, and we will until the Lord returns and we're made perfect. Uh, Paul told the Romans, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. And how many of us can, you know, say amen to what the Apostle Paul says there? And so we all wrestle with sin. But as Christians, we are new creations. We're not what we used to be. We've died to our old way of life, and we've been raised to walk a new life in Christ. Ephesians 2.10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. But on the other hand, as we've gone through these tests and you know that these things, are again, are not true of you, then you really need to question your salvation because there are many people who have a false assurance of their salvation. They're depending on a prayer they're depending on being brought up maybe in a godly home uh, or a decision they made as a child or that maybe my good works will outweigh the bad and God will let me into heaven. Uh, that's not salvation. And it's my prayer that you would repent of your sin and that call on the Lord to save you. And what better time than tonight, this afternoon, to, to do that? To get it settled and we would love to talk with anyone uh, about that and 2nd Corinthians 6 2 says behold now is the acceptable time behold now is the day of salvation and 
I want to close with a quote from Thomas Brooks. He said, The being in a state of grace will yield a man a heaven hereafter, but the seeing of himself in this estate will yield him both a heaven here and a heaven hereafter. It will render him doubly blessed, blessed in heaven and blessed in his own conscience. Oh, that that could be the state of everyone that is here or listening by a live stream, that, uh, that you're not only in a state of grace, saved, but that you know that you're saved, that you have that assurance of salvation. That's a double blessing. And so let's pray. Lord,